Welcome to Casual Watch Talk, the podcast from the Casual Watch Reviewer YouTube channel. Join us as we talk everything watches from watch collecting, the latest horology news and interviews. If you're not already subscribed, subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Let's dive into the show. Hi everyone and welcome back to Casual Watch Talk for episode 44 and today I'm actually without Chris but I'm joined by a very special guest, Alan from Zao Baltimore. Thanks for joining hey me. Hi, hey guys, how you guys doing? So we're going to interview Alan later on in the show but I thought he could join us for the usual news and things like that as uh, Chris unfortunately has been kept behind with a work commitment. So, as always, Alan, really love to start the show off with, have you had a watch obsession this week? Yeah, so um, beyond the watches, you know, my watches that I'm obsessed with, but uh, the other watch that I've been really eyeing is the, actually, a Zenith El Primero. Oh, yeah. The uh, the new Liberty one is actually, that thing is pretty cool because it just has a nice vintage retro Zenith look, um, but... It looks nice. Is that the one with the ladder bracelet? Uh, I don't know about the bracelet. I know it comes with like a like a fabric strap. Oh it. right, okay. Yeah, it's um Stephen over on our Facebook group. He's just bought the classic. I think it's a thirty-eight mm-hmm. millimeter El Primero. Very nice. And he bought a uh, the Zenith Defy. Is it like the skeletonized yep. one? Yeah, yeah. That, that's a good watch because I. I have another a Zenith watch, the El Primero. Um, I have a love-hate relationship with that watch because I got it on a live auction one day, but I happened to be the last bidder with my hand up, so I paid a little bit too much for it. Oh, really? So I love it, but I hate it because it cost me too much money. <laughs> wow. Okay, so was this like a house auction or something? Yeah, or was a... it was. You know pre-covid you know when we can actually go to London. back when you could be around other people <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah it's funny i watch a youtuber called graham stefan he's, he's mm-hmm. like a financial guy he lives in la and he he's really notoriously like tight with money yeah and but the one thing he's got he's got two zenith el primeros mm-hmm. one he i don't know if you saw that episode where he said he his i think his father or his grandfather passed away and he used to work for zenith tvs right. or something and he and the watch was getting thrown out and he managed to find it in the trash amazing wow. story wow crazy yeah. story that <laughs> he was he was drawn to it as he walked past his mother was throwing out some stuff but then he's bought one of the i forget which version it was but they did a gold version that was like $25,000 or something he got one of the few limited edition ones mhm so that's a keeper my watch obsession very similar to last week this continuous frustration I'm I'm coming up in just over a week now to my 40th birthday and I'm obsessed with the idea of getting a watch for my 40th birthday, but I just don't know what I want. I'm like happy with the watches I've got, but I don't really know what to get. I've been looking at all sorts like Breitling and Mm -hmm. um, I even looked at a Bremont watches like Mm -hmm. pre-owned. I've given up trying to get a birth year watch because I think it was a weird for a lot of brands, it was Quartz Crisis Cab. Did you see the new Bremont watch that released? Yeah, with the kind of offset crown. Is that, that yeah? One? And they uh they changed their uh their patented uh case design because they usually have a 
internal their internal barrel was interchangeable and their newest one is everything is interconnected oh, so right. that uh, the, i just thought now the new case is not that far from your uh, <laughs> case is it yeah on your diver yeah. uh the torch diver is somewhat similar to their design but the newest one the legacy um we definitely went away from that design uh so something we're pretty happy about is this the the new chronograph no the uh the newest one the chronograph was the constellation oh wow um that released in february of this year so uh, we're working on a new design called the legacy um has a similar design as the constellation but it's not a chronograph it's actually it's like a fume dial kind of thing and we're actually doing this um purple dial which we call it the raven after the baltimore ravens oh so, wow yeah so this we it took a while to figure out the color scheme but really really like this purple dial there's also there's other colors but yeah we're pretty happy about it cool well we'll have to definitely ask you about that when yeah. at the end of the show that would be awesome okay well as usual we like to kick it off with a few news stories so i know i normally ask chris about these stories but you'll have to you'll have to step in for him uh, first one that I thought was interesting was on Watch Pro. This is, and in fact, a lot of the stories I get from Watch Pro is that eBay released their top 10 most expensive watches sold in 2020. Now, I feel like I've covered this story in, in it was it was less than a year ago. So I don't know whether they do this every six months or something, but I, I was amazed to see that the headline of the story on Watch Pro is that rolex and patek are not even in the top five so it looks like the most expensive one was a panerai pam 21 which apparently had a rolex movement in it i've never heard of this before yeah that's a yeah that's a new one for me too but it was interesting because yeah i was kind of taken back from the headline um how rolex wasn't number one but then rolex is kind of number one because it's using your rolex movement (laughs) yeah so they are kind of number one which is interesting yeah, it's rare. It's expensive because it has that Rolex yeah. movement in it. Uh-huh. And then uh, it looks like it was a, a Langenzun was the second at $98,000. So that Pam uh, 2-1 was $125,000. And there was a Harry Winston Ocean Jewel Time, which I'm, I don't know if I'm feeling the look of that one. Definitely not That's, me too. <laughs> that was $98,000. But I, th- I think it, uh, now I'm reading the story, I think I do remember that, that I think the most expensive one they've ever sold, and it says it here, was a Patek Philippe Grand Complication, which sold for half a million. Yeah, it's what do you think about, especially with eBay now doing its uh, physical inspection, any watches over $2,000, what's your thought on selling high-priced watches on eBay? Do you think it's the place or...? I think so. I mean, uh, I was recently in like a uh, a virtual watch show through Microlux, and actually eBay was one of the speakers there. Oh, really? And they actually spoke about you know their new program of authenticating high end pieces, specifically watches, and the process seemed you know really intriguing. It's like wow, I can actually like this is actually a really good idea because that was one of the things that took away from ebay was because there's so many fakes out there yeah people was so hesitant to you know sell their watches or buy watches on ebay and this is 
eBay's kind of way of saying, hey, it's safe here to buy from eBay and to sell here. And I think it's smart on their point and smart for the consumers. It definitely protects both sides. So good for them. Did they talk about how how they do it? Are they sending it to regional? Is everything going to one place or do they send it to regional? I believe it is regional. Um, but I don't know how vast in terms of how many locations they have that you can send it based on the region. Um, cause I didn't catch that part, but yeah, uh, it's, it's definitely multiple areas that you can send the watch to and they'll just inspect it. Yeah. It is interesting. I mean, Chris and I were talking about, and also with, uh, Todd, uh, the Seiko collector that's, that's joined us on the show a couple of times. Like there's, I guess there's one way of authenticating a watch, but sometimes mm-hmm. the vintage ones is, do they go as far as to work out if all the, everything's correct mechanically? Right. Right. And I wonder, like, where's the initially asked was what was the you know credibility of the people actually authenticating the watches? Yeah. So, like, is it just, you know, a random jeweler that you're sending it to that, you know, knows about Seiko's but knows nothing about Rolexes, for example? But yeah, it seemed like it seemed very promising. Yeah, because I suppose if you've got uh, if they have uh, eBay have their own accreditation of this is a, a accredited you know authenticator that probably doesn't mean anything in the, right exactly. in the rest of the watch industry oh, well that's an interesting story anyway um next story i thought this was interesting as well this is probably more for our uh, british listeners which is um it looks like christopher ward and then also roger w smith are creating a british watch and clock makers association which i thought was quite interesting um, so it's the it's Mike France who's the was one of the founders of Christopher Ward. So it wasn't actually Christopher Ward himself. So it looks like this is an association for all British watchmakers. So I suppose that's quite interesting because it means that there's going to be some kind of official accreditation. Mm-hmm. Uh, should be good for British watchmaking anyway. Yeah, I think yeah, it's a it's definitely a good idea. It kind of uh kind of goes against you know swiss watchmakers you know making uh british their own you know credibility into the whole watchmaking industry um i know the u.s we've been trying to do something in the u.s too Um, just i know um myself to two other people in maryland uh brands in maryland we're trying to create kind of like a, a maryland watch you know conglomerate of some sort you know creating something and then possibly work with Vortec and other American brands here and there. So that's something that we're working on, but British watch and clockmakers, that's a, that's a great idea, you know, helps add more credibility into the world besides just going into Switzerland. Yeah. It's amazing. I I always mention it when I'm reviewing U S brands is that the U S used to be quite the powerhouse of watchmaking at one time until, and got decimated in the quartz crisis. Absolutely. yeah, they got we got destroyed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's it's amazing, really. I'm glad to see some of the. It's amazing to see that American watchmaking come back. Mm-hmm. It's just a shame that I know speaking to other brands that a lot of you guys would wish that you could get more parts made in the U.S. or more things machined here. Yeah, I wish. Uh, I mean, there's just so many different things. I mean, one of the biggest issues is finding the perfect mainspring. You know it's that thing is just so difficult to manufacture and there's only you know a handful of actual manufacturers that can do the mainspring so 
if we do that and take that on to the US, it's a huge investment. Wow. Oh, I didn't realize that, that the, the mainspring was the... Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay, well, the last story here before we pause for a quick break. Uh, this was one that you pointed out, Alan, which is the new Breitling Chronomat looks like these... They've got a 36 and a 32-inch model, so firmly going for, I guess, sort of maybe unisex, but probably more female with these designs. Yep. But they're not... One of the colors is not that far off from the Rolex. Uh, yeah, they they look very similar to Rolex. You know, they're they're Datejust, but I like them. They're they they have definitely a nice, stunning, you know, elegant appeal to it. It's definitely beyond what Breitling has done because you know their their watches are all you know yeah. navigation and so forth, and these definitely do not fit that. <laughs> same target audience no i agree yeah they did that sort of smaller version of the super ocean which they called yeah. kind of unisex and i thought right. that was uh, that was funny but they've done a great job that they're, they're really i'm really liking what breitling are doing at the moment there's mm -hmm. there's a lot going on obviously the new the new ceo that joined a couple of years ago now is really revamping the whole line and the image of it yeah they, they've still got some of those big oversized watches but looking on the website now it looks like it, they're drawing more on like some classic designs that mm -hmm. they had or which is very interesting brightling's got incredible history really uh, of, of the brands one of the, one of the most interesting histories i still need to do a video on it but the brightlings look nice uh, i i showed my wife not too long ago and she's like yeah yeah i like it the middle one with the diamonds of course <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean how do you feel about if you were gonna spend because they say the the range between Five thousand. Mm. I mean, is that Rolex territory? Because I think I don't know if this is true, but I heard that Rolex's biggest selling watch was the Ladies' Date. Just like the yeah. The... I mean, I that has to be because I mean, Breitling has to see that that since the Date Just is Rolex's number one, you know, why not act in that same market? I mean, Breitling's got some good stuff. There's they're in the same stores practically commercialized. Yeah. Um, so mine's will compete against the same market. I mean, it's smart. And I do like the how they went back to like their, their vintage looks, their retro looks, because, you know, those are coming back. Think about Timex. Timex and their, yeah. their um, what are they called? Those remakes. Uh, yeah, the Q-Time and yeah. stuff like that. Their reissues, they look great. I mean, they're super popular. They're creating, they're bringing back, you know, previous owners that love timex and no longer bought them and now coming back to them just uh just because how cool and vintage they look so railing's kind of on the same track they're they're kind of bringing back what was popular and making something out of it yeah and the good i suppose well, maybe the good thing for brightling but may uh, good thing for the gray market but not necessarily brightling is you can really get a deal on a brightling oh, i think yeah. more so than most other brands oh yeah secondhand you can always get a good deal on brailing though <laughs> yeah i love my uh i've got a brightling b1 and annie digi watch oh, nice. i love okay. it that it it's uh, uh, there's just something about it i think a couple of years ago i would have just thought oh it's like an analog digital watch i'm all about mechanical <laughs> watches but i really there's just something yeah, that's about a good it. one i like that one i have a the brailing chronomat um that was actually my first watch like nice like high quality watch and then I had a Breitling Colt. Then I was a quickly uh, sold that one. So that was a nice flip. Yeah, yeah, the the Chrono Mat was what saved Breitling. Um, mm -hmm, it was. 
it's there's a I don't know if you've seen that documentary. I was talking about it last week. There's a documentary on YouTube that's it's like one of these how it how it's made things. So the mm-hmm. guy who's presenting it like really has no idea about watches, <laughs> but it talks all about the chronomat. It's mm-hmm. an amazing process that they go through yeah. to make it. It's good work of art. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Okay, guys. Well, before we get into our main topic here, which is interviewing Alan, which I'm looking forward to, we'll just pause for a very quick ad break. Hey, it's Chris from the Casual Watch Talk podcast. As our longtime listeners know, we often talk about cars here on the pod, and that's no coincidence. Like a lot of mechanical watch lovers, we're both into cars and racing. A couple years ago, I curated a collection of automotive-inspired straps and started the Camping Auto Club. Camping Auto Club watch straps celebrate the rich history of automotive liveries with their inspired colors. Available in a single-pass NATO, two-piece, and our new super-comfy elastic NATO. Check out Camping Auto Club on the web. That's championship in Italian, C-A-M-P-I-O. N-A-T-O dot club. Hey everyone, welcome back to Casual Watch Talk. So for our main segment here, we're going to be interviewing Alan from Zao Baltimore. He's frequently mentioned on our show uh, because he was, one of his watches was used in our 30-day watch challenge. A big shout out to Michael who wore the... Thanks, Michael. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And then Alan and I met at, and probably a couple of years ago now at the LA Microlux. And then I tried to meet up with you in Baltimore once, but I was on a work thing. So it's unfortunate we could have done something live there. But Next time. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for joining us anyway. Thanks for having me. So for anyone that's not familiar, would you like to give us a quick summary of your journey, I guess, and, and where's our Baltimore's now and the type of watches that you make? Yeah, so... I started South Baltimore in 2017 officially. Uh, design work was mainly in 2016, but it all started with, you know, obsession with watches. You know, like many of you always obsessed with watches, always buying more and more watches. It's never enough, right? Uh, one night, uh, my wife looks over at me and about notices that I'm about to buy another watch. And then she says, Alan, stop buying so many watches. Why don't you just start your own company? So credit to my wife, it's... Like I have a background in design and in marketing. So I kind of intertwined my design skills and started designing several different watches that I enjoyed until I came across a design that I finished up and that I was like really proud of. So if I loved it that much, I know that someone else would also. And then that kind of led to the first Founders Edition uh, design and then followed by the Taurus Diver, which is named after the USS Taurus submarine in Baltimore. And then we designed the Constellation Chrono Diver, which is named after the USS Constellation, also in Baltimore. So a lot of our pieces are all focused around Maryland, obviously, and uh, Baltimore being we're from here. And we kind of really want the whole cognition of what Baltimore is based on what everyone perceives Baltimore being. Um, and I want people to see Baltimore as you know something beautiful can can come out of Baltimore. And that's what I want to do. And that's why I'm creating these timepieces. So the the newest one that I'm super proud of is called Legacy because I named it the Legacy because this year I'm actually uh, going to be a father for the first time. Oh, congratulations. Uh, Thank you. Uh, So my wife, we are expecting in December. Uh, So I wanted to create a piece that really showcase, you know, what hard work, what dedication and what beauty and all that combined to create one single thing and something I could pass down to my son. 
So I create the legacy and the legacy is nice, nice little 40 millimeter um, timepiece. It's more of a compressor style design. Um, beautiful piece. Uh, it's currently using a Salita movement. Um, and also there's going to be a GMT movement, which is using the Soprod C125 movement. So we're pretty happy about that and intertwine it with several different color options in bronze and steel. So yeah, it's pretty cool. And hopefully, you know, we're going to keep on making new designs as we, you know, grow, you know, possibly a pilot, possibly a women's line. Um, so it's something that we're trying to look into and we're always constantly growing. So if anyone has any feedback and just some ideas, just let me know. Absolutely. You made that sound very simple then, but I know there's quite a leap between <laughs> being a real watch fan and then designing a watch. Yeah, it took about a year. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing because especially I think the Toast Diver is it's it's such a unique looking watch. It's such an iconic look. You it you didn't fall down the trap of recreating a vintage watch, which would have been the safe option mm -hmm. to do. It would have been mm -hmm. safe to do like a first watch that was quite like safe. So mm -hmm. so how did you decide on what is quite a distinctive offset crown, isn't it? Is it the the one o'clock position mm -hmm. or yeah the well it's the the two o'clock position. But yes, yeah, so I was actually working with the uh, the ball the uh, historic ships in Baltimore, um, which is the organization that manages the USS Taurus constellation and so forth, all the historic ships in Baltimore, and we're kind of just bouncing ideas in terms of design. So I kind of drew some of the designs that they were brought up, uh, they brought to my attention, and then kind of putting that on paper, drawing it up, and then kind of working with them just to figure out how we can showcase you know something that's that looks industrial yet uh functional and just works with you know adding the the touch of what the torsk is all about and what we can make this timepiece to reflect that so it was a nice little collaboration so does that mean that there was design cues in the watch that were directly taken from mm -hmm. the original torsk yeah yeah so there's several different things just different lines and here and there just the the structure of things uh either it's it's a, you know, it could be one of their timers inside the actual tour submarine. It could be, you know, just the, the steps here and there, um, just the lines involved. Yeah, I love the way that you've put the logo on the rotor. I don't, can't think of another brand mm -hmm. that's done that really. Yeah, so the, the, I mean, they had a really cool logo. Uh, if, if anyone notices, the, the USS Taurus logo is basically a codfish with punching gloves. <laughs> which is which is awesome and one of the other cool things is like disney made those logos back in world war ii which made it even cooler so disney was probably one of those that made the actual uss taurus logo i i'm a big disney fan and i didn't know that that they yeah. did that wow yeah. yeah they commissioned disney to create all these logos that's why they look so cartoonish um but fortunately you know historic ships in baltimore owns all the rights of the uss taurus including that logo so i was able to use it Oh, oh right so did they just they just allowed you to use mm -hmm. it for the for the watch oh that's yeah, really interesting yeah. they obviously i mean they obviously believed in what you were doing to allow mm -hmm. that yeah yeah i mean also i, I was able to after the whole tour thing i was able to donate uh, a little more than five thousand dollars to their organization oh that's awesome and that goes to the the upkeep of the yeah, of yeah it, does exactly. it? wow yeah they help maintain the uss tours uh, help staff the uh, employees there that, you know, collect the tickets, manage it, maintain it, so forth.
Wow, it's amazing to have that DNA in the watch because I, I when I'm reviewing micro brands on the channel and I obviously got contacted about a few, there's a lot that have a, a not necessarily a made up history, but you can see that they're trying to strive for some kind of history. Whereas mm-hmm. you've you created your own in the watch based on mm-hmm. something that is very close to the city that you're from. Yeah. I think it's awesome mm-hmm. really. You haven't gone down this whole we're going to disrupt the Swiss watch industry kind of no, nonsense no, that a lot no. of <laughs> trying to build up Baltimore and, you know, trying to create, you know, the love of the city and really showcase it in the watches. When you're first starting out making these watches, I guess one of the big, the big choices is how do you decide on what movement you're going to, going to use? Like what, mm. where did you go? Well, instead of, cause it would be easy to do quartz for your first mm. one and then go mechanical, mm. but I believe you went straight in with the mechanical, did you? Or? Yeah. So the very first one, the founders just, Founders Edition uses the Muda 9015. Um, but funny story, our very first one, uh, the first one before that was just a prototype. It was my very first design that I really enjoyed. And then so I started talking to different manufacturers, had it built, uh, waited a few months, and then, you know, I got it, opened up the box, pure crap. You know, this watch was terrible. Wow. It was using a, a random quartz movement in that thing. And then at that point, I questioned everything. If I should pr- keep going, if I should just stop where, you know, because I definitely was not ahead. So it's like, what do I do? But I kept going, uh, luckily, uh, then decided to go automatic. Uh, spoke to different brands. Uh, one of my good friends Mc- from uh, McDowell time. Uh, another micro brand in Maryland. Um, <laughs> I was actually looking on Kickstarter and then uh, filtered it down to Maryland if there's any Maryland brands in Kickstarter. And then he popped up because he had one, you know, a few months prior to um, my launching. And then I asked if he had some time to talk and see if he can point me in the right direction in terms of, you know, what do I do, <laughs> you know? And then, yeah, we spoke for like an hour and a half and then he gave me some recommendations in terms of movements. And then I stuck with the Miyota because of I read it on different forums. I've had a few watches using the Miyota. I loved it. Um, started figuring out how it worked. You know, I tore some of my watches apart initially with the Miyotas and then figured out, you know, how complicated it is. Uh, it's pretty complicated initially, by the way. But uh um, you know, after a lot of practice, you figure out, you know, how to regulate the movement, how to repair the movement, what needs to be moved, shifted, and so forth. And then um, got really comfortable with it. So I got to use it. And then I used it for the Founders Edition, used it for the Torsk. Um, and then for the Constellation, is used in the Mecha Quartz. So the reason for the Mecha Quartz is because an automatic chronograph is incredibly expensive. Yeah. I mean, there are people that would be willing to, you know, pay that price, but in terms of production and everything, um, I just didn't have the the funds in order to actually make an automatic chronograph. Uh, so I opted for the Mecha Quartz for two reasons. The first one, it's reliability. The second one is because I want to stay within the affordable range, you know, giving everyone opportunity to have a quality watch. Yeah. Um, so the Mecha Quartz just made the right amount of sense to utilize it. 
it's funny you were mentioned. I was smiling when you mentioned about Ronda because mm-hmm. you no know, Shinola would put those twenty five dollar Rondas oh in a watch you call it precision dollar watch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a precision Swiss uh, Swiss <laughs> movement, which is hilarious. Right. But yeah, I, I, I've certainly had Mecha Quartz watches. It it's not my favorite. The bi compact mm-hmm. layout. I just the watches look too still for me, but I appreciate mm. that. I think I'm in a minority. Whenever I make a video commenting on it, people, are like, ah, I really like Mecha Quartz. Mm. I'm like, okay, okay. You do want that sweeping second hand, you know, that's, that's something to know that the watch is actually moving. <laughs> yes, yeah. And you mentioned a movement I don't think I've heard of before, your GMT movement, which... Oh, the Soprod C125. Yeah, what's the history behind that movement? It's a it's a Swiss brand, uh, a Swiss movement. Um, really reliable, um, oh. actually. Um, when I tested, I had five, I believe I tested out, and all five of them right off the boat were around plus or minus five seconds, uh, which is incredible. Um, they were, funny thing is a lot of times, major brands use Soprod in terms of uh, um, actually assembling watches. And I don't want to say which major brands, but there's a crown involved. <laughs> so so is it a clone of 2093 no. or something? No, it's its own no. GMT. It's their own GMT movement. They're actually working on a new one. I forgot which one it's, it's called. It's going to be in competition with the Eta movements. Wow. Yeah, Ooh, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. I'm amazed that I've not heard of them. I suppose that's a really cool thing about watch collecting, isn't it? That yeah. you always end up finding something new. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great movement. They do some really good stuff. Um, another brand was using them. I, oh, Ocean Crawler put them in their GMTs. Oh, interesting. Um, I know a few other micro brands have utilized Soprod, which is uh, it's good. So it's definitely getting out there. The word for Soprod C125s. Um, but I know that their new movement, which I don't remember what it's called, is going to definitely be a new movement for micro brands, especially if they're competing with the Eta movements. So it'll be something to look out for. Yeah, we did a show a couple of episodes back, and I'm amazed at what's coming out of the micro brand sector. Spec mm-hmm. quality versus price is, mm-hmm. it should have some of the bigger brands holding their heads in shame. I made this comment Absolutely. on the last upload I did, the attention to detail that you guys are doing. I, I mean, taking it right back to the start, did you used to assemble them all yourself? I think I remember you yeah, saying. Or yeah, is... I still do. Really? Wow. Yeah, I still do. Yeah, it's fun. Uh, I mean, when after, you know, pre-order and having to assemble, you know, hundreds of watches at a time kind of gets really exhausting. But, you know, the occasional when we right now, because there's no actual real launch right now. So when sales are coming, it's, you know, it's like five here, five there. So it's like, so it's, it's relaxing, especially putting these watches together. Yeah, I guess it's really rewarding for you knowing that you've had a hand in making it. Yeah. And I guess the owners, well, Michael's a testament to this, but the owners obviously really appreciate that you've assembled it yourself instead of yeah. you just kind of drop shipping them or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's definitely, um, I mean, it took a huge, you know, learning curve, you know, a lot of trial and error initially. Um, if anyone is interested, you could go to uh, New York Horology, New York Society of Horology. Yeah um they have some classes uh you take apart a swiss movement and reassemble it they teach you all the what each component uh 
does and how they're all interconnected. And it's really, really cool class to take. And I took uh, two of those actually just to figure out how movements work. Like in person or are they yeah. like online? Mm -hmm. Oh, really? In person. So you, you, um, yeah, you just, they have these custom watch making desks. Uh, they, they always travel around the U S and around the world just to, t uh, offer these classes, but it's really neat that they'll put a movement right in front of you and they tell you exactly which screws to take out first, where to put everything. And then at the end of you, you're only left with a single base plate. So after that, you're like, okay, let's put it all back together. So they teach you everything, what goes where first, and then everything. Like it's, it's really cool. I would find that really interesting. I think just mm -hmm. being a watch fan, because that magic of mechanical movements, you'll, I don't think you'll ever be able to replicate it oh, with no. a, an Apple Watch or... Oh, definitely not. Anything don't along get me those with Apple Watches. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned your, the new watch the legacy you've gone with a compressor style case is it mm -hmm. yes yeah really excited about that piece um i'm a fan of you know compressor style cases or the super compressors i know uh which brand just did a super compressor piece Chris Chris Award. Award. yeah Award, they did a yeah. really cool piece um but uh i was always a fan just the the vintage look of what a compressor style case mm. is um so I wanted to create my own render of what a compressor style case is. Um, something sporty yet vintage at the same time. So using a sandwich style uh, with more of like a fume design, you know, the uh, the faded uh, like purple to darker purple right. with an internal rotating bezel, you know, exhibition case back. Um, so I wanted all the whole thing, you know, what you would find in like a torch dive, just in smaller fashion. Um, yeah, I'm pretty happy about it. Uh, so that must increase the complexity of the assembly, the inner rotating bezel, I imagine, because that's a whole mechanism in itself. It is. It has its own gears. Um, and that the chapter ring for the inner rotating bezel is is definitely interesting to put together <laughs> i know when i first did I, I i broke uh one or two just to figure out how it works but uh i have it down now but it's definitely difficult just because what's involved inside the case well those when you become extremely famous watchmaker those broken ones will be they'll be yeah. on ebay one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. <laughs> right. will be number one <laughs> yeah the, the, the one that has the misprinted dial or whatever <laughs> exactly <laughs> Thinking of the dials, I know one thing that's become part of your design catalog is you're not really afraid of using color, are you? There's definitely some interesting colors that you used. How important was that to you using color on the dials? Um, well, I love color. Um, usually, so my wife, I, she's my, she calls herself the, uh, what's it, the creative side of things where like I would design a whole bunch of different things and ask her which one she likes the most or which one I, I shouldn't use. Uh, she's normally right, except when I did this green dial for the Taurus, and she's like, I don't know about that, but apparently that that just sold out after, so that was fine. Um, but I love color. Um, I usually go with, you know, three main ones and then a different one. So, uh, like the Taurus, the different one was probably the, the Camden Orange. Uh, yeah. Or, yeah, because I usually have a green, a blue and a gray generally. Uh, so with the legacy, there's the purple, which is the most different. Um, 
and then the green is a different hue than what I've utilized. And same with the blue, it's a little bit brighter as well. But the purple is the, you know, the most uh, unique out of the four color options. Almost like a brush texture to the dial yeah. as well as the gradient. So, yeah, so it's a, uh, so it has that, that sunburst look, uh, that, uh, that fume look, and then has vertical brushing uh, that matches the case, which also has vertical brushing throughout the case. So everything is, you know, is connected with one one of the another. So something small design things that kind of bring out the big picture. Yeah, because I know the dial can it can kill a whole watch, can't it? Absolutely. So w- was that trial and error as well? Getting because I presume the people who make the cases don't make the dials, do they? Or how, no, how... Uh, two different manufacturers, at least for me. But um, no, it was kind of it wasn't too much. That was trial when I was designing it on the computer. Um, that was mainly that part. But when I had it, I mean, when I did it initially, I loved it. So I was like, this is the way to go. It just matched perfectly. It looks almost like an integrated bracelet, but it yeah. isn't quite. It's just that tolerances are so tight there. Yeah, exactly. And it's uh, sc- is it screw down crowns as well? Uh, yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I have to check because sometimes I forget which watch it was that I reviewed where one of the one of the crowns was screwed down, but the other one wasn't. Like well, that doesn't the, make any sense. Yeah, <laughs> and I've not yet seen. I'm, I'm interested in seeing one of the Christopher Wards. Actually, I've got a Christopher Ward watching for review at the moment, which is really oh, yeah? cool. Oh, yeah, I want to see that too. Looks nice. I suppose a topical question. And I've asked, I asked this even, uh, I try and ask this to people that I'm interviewing, even like Mm -hmm. some of the bigger brands is, I guess the the interesting year that we've had, putting it mildly with uh, COVID and the lockdown, I know a lot of the brands were, have been really hurting on their Mm -hmm. watch sales, but uh, micro brands and pre-owned brands have have really gone, gone crazy. How has it been for you this year? Have have you seen an influx or? Yeah, um, surprisingly, you know, the I guess the first month, uh, was it March? I guess when things started hitting the fan, that was a slow month. But after that, it was it was strange because, you know, sales, people just start buying watches, which is really interesting. So, yeah, in terms of our end, um, things have been selling out, you know, only have a handful left of Torch Divers left. Uh, the Constellations are doing well. Um, so yeah, anyone that purchased a watch that's listening to this, I greatly appreciate the support. <laughs> I know certainly for me, maybe why I ended up with buying more quartz probably watches the mechanical, I think quality and value for money, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's definitely different from, you know, major brands. I, I understand how, cause people don't know where the future lies, you know, do they want to spend five, $6,000 on a Rolex? and not know where they will be next year or in a few months for that, you know, why not with the same quality or at least, you know, um, roughly the same quality you can go for a micro brand, you know, it just doesn't have the name of Rolex, but just has the quality of it. Yeah. I suppose before we, we finish up here, everything's you sort of focus on the legacy now, but I presume you've got a few other ideas knocking around. Have you, is there any, Anything you can tease anyone with or? Um, 
I mean, they're all still so, you know, so still new in my brain. But yeah, I'm testing the market for a 36 millimeter. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Um, and then doing a Founders Edition 2.0. Uh, so it's going to bring back the original, but with some very nice upgrades in terms of design, as well as, you know, the actual components within it. Um, and then working on a dress watch, and that will probably be called the Belvedere. Oh, really? I, I, I'm always interested in micro brands that do dress watches because it seems like a simple watch, but you have to i think you have to be very careful not to fall into the traps of yes you don't want that you know that daniel wellington watch you know that yeah. simple uh minimalist design and you don't want to fall between you know the rolex Datejust. so there's where's the, the sweet part and how can you be unique on that so uh figuring that out and design wise it's definitely difficult especially figuring out what type of color variants or what materials for the dial you know do you use something unique like you know mother of pearl dials do you use um like a different type of you know texture design to it um you know how can you make a you know very do you want to go more elegant for women's or do you want to go you know casual you know everyday watch so there's so many different ways you can go and you just don't know where the market is going to go towards so it's interesting especially like with breitling you know which they definitely help provide like a good understanding of where the market may be you know mm -hmm. we can figure out how there's their sales are going to be going based on this new model that they're offering so it could be a good indication of what we should do um you know is are the ones with diamonds selling the most? Like, should we figure out a way to do some kind of diamonds? Because I haven't seen a micro brand utilize diamonds in that yeah. fashion. Maybe because it's, well, I know because it's super expensive. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I wonder whether that might be a gap because there's, there's putting diamonds on a watch, isn't there? But then there's what the main brands are, mm -hmm. they're excessively charging for diamonds on right. a a thing especially if you're thinking of you know small like 0.1 mm -hmm. carats or whatever on a on a mm -hmm. watch but yeah it's a it's a guy you're rolling the dice there aren't you yeah i mean it's you could do anything i mean you could throw something in the air and hopefully something someone catches it uh i mean you could do like you don't have to go super like actual diamonds you can go through the swarovski crystals yes uh, like uh the michelle watches you can go like that that route and they sell you know a ronda movement for 900 dollars. <laughs> yeah it's amazing those i was in uh in a gucci store with a friend of mine and he was is obsessed with the the sneakers in there and he was mm -hmm. like oh, are these watches any good and i'm like it's a 25 dollar movement in there <laughs> yeah. I mean, Don't I know. <laughs> yeah i know they have some uh, stuff but yeah I guess um, you just mentioned Breitling. I've just been thinking about this trend of using forged carbon for cases. Oh, yeah. What mm -hmm. do you think about that? I don't know about the, the durability of forged carbon. You know, it's just in the lightweight. So I like when a watch is, is pretty hefty. Yeah. You know, I, I like to know that I have a watch on <laughs> at the same time. Um, because if I don't feel it, I've had that, you know, that 
was it the phantom wrist basically yes. so there's yeah. something there and then i feel like my life is empty because i don't because <laughs> there's no watch on my wrist um but that's me personally what i think but i don't know about forged carbon it's just the materials i think who use it talker i believe talker did some kind of thing like that as well yeah doxa doxa have a forged carbon mm-hmm. as well i think so you mainly use stainless steel and then you've got bronze as bronze. well that you've started mm-hmm. with How, how's yeah. that been working out for you the bronze good pieces? good i mean um i'm almost sold out of the bronze <laughs> almost uh and i actually sold more bronze than i did the steel version oh wow uh, which is interesting but that's why i'm creating a bronze for the legacy as well so is it harder to machine bronze or is it is there is it more is it more cost effective to use bronze or more expensive Um, i can't really gauge based on expensive to use bronze uh but it all it is this is a whole new mold uh to create the uh the actual cases and parts of it but same process just new mold just a bit more expensive just because of the material so alan thanks so much for joining us this week that was really fascinating yeah, it was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Al, if you're interested in checking out uh, Zal Baltimore, it's zalbaltimore.com. I'll leave a link in the show notes. As always, guys, we really appreciate you listening, and we'll see you next time on Casual Watch Talk. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thanks.